This is Get Uncomfortable, the podcast where we talk race, politics, religion, and all the things with me, Adam Smith. Oprah Winfrey, Viola Davis, John Quinones, Angela Bassett, Patrick Ewing, Prince, and Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. These folks have more in common than just celebrity. They are all former participants in federal TRIO programs. The educational opportunity and access programs that we now refer to as TRIO programs began in 1964 with the Educational Opportunity Act that created Upward Bound. 2024 marks 60 years of impact on the lives of program participants who are all low income and the first in their family to attend college, as well as the impact on a grateful nation. While thousands of federal TRIO programs come and go with the political trade winds, TRIO survives because TRIO works. TRIO programs are most often housed on college campuses, many of whom were established to keep out the very people that TRIO serves. It is even more complicated for TRIO staff, who are often disproportionately folks of color, who are often the right face and the only space black and brown folks are allowed to work as professionals in higher education. The programs are a model of educational impact, longevity, economic opportunity, and educational justice, and yet very few outside the TRIO community can tell you much about the programs, which may have more to do with who the programs serve and employ than the efficacy of TRIO. In this episode, we're joined by my friend, colleague, and sister, Dr. Evora Baker. Evora Baker earned a BA in history from McAllister College, an MA in secondary education from the University of Phoenix, and a doctorate in educational leadership from American College of Education. Evora is a daughter, sister, wife, trio professional, advocate, and educator. Currently serving as director of TRIO Student Support Services at Central Virginia Community College, Avora has been working with TRIO programs for more than 17 years and has an extensive career providing empowerment services to populations typically underserved in post-secondary education and programming geared towards youth. Dr. Avora Baker, welcome. Happy New Year. Let's get uncomfortable. How are you? I'm doing well. Adam, it's great to see you. Great to see you, too. Great to hear you, see you, be in your presence. Um, I know you were in the middle of writing what TRIO calls the APR, which is the Annual Performance Report. So I appreciate you making time because I know this is a crazy time. My pleasure. So let's level set for the people who aren't trio folks, right? We we had we we give some background in the show notes and our lead in, but tell people not just about the history of TRIO programs, but what do TRIO programs actually do? Talk a little bit about what TRIO does and a little bit about the history. Okay, so TRIO programs started out in 1964. The very first program was Upper Bound. And Upper Bound works with students, uh, high school students. So uh, we'll take rising eighth graders, uh, those students that are going into ninth grade and work with them all the way until their senior year of college where the main objective is to get them prepared, get them them those basic skills and get them off to college. We want to make sure that they're financially prepared uh, and that they're going to a college that's a good fit for them. 
the second TRIO program that was created, um, which was in 1965, was Talent Search, or what was originally known as Educational Talent Search. That program still has the uh, same mission. They tend to serve a higher population of students, uh, are mostly in like uh, urban areas where there's a lot of students that uh, can benefit from the program. Um, the difference between that and Upper Bound is at Talent Search starts working with students in their sixth grade year all the way up until their 12th grade year. And so because there's such a huge number of students that they're working with, um, they don't work as intensively, I would say, as an upper bound program. Um, in 1967, there was a, a training programs uh, for federal trio programs. And then in 1968, there were student support services programs, um, which I've always told people 1965, um, but uh, this podcast actually actually helped me uh, prepare a little bit. So it was in 1968 uh, for the student support services or SSS programs. And those programs work with um, um, college students, helping them navigate the complexities of higher ed. Uh, in fact, that's the program that I work for. Um, those programs were actually originally uh, known as special support services for disadvantaged students. Um, 1972, we had educational opportunity centers, which is actually where I got my start in TRIO, believe it or not. Um, and those programs are community-based um, programs generally, and they tend to help students who have not received a high school diploma Oftentimes they come from incarcerated populations. Um, and then we have Ronald E. McNair, uh, 1986. Uh, McNair programs tend to work with students to help them get prepared for graduate school. Can't forget UBMS now, um, Upper Bound Math Science, uh, which is a STEM-related program that works with high schoolers to get them prepared for college and to hopefully have them go into STEM, into STEM careers. I really appreciate you breaking down the timeline and the history and uh, not forgetting UBMS. Um, so TRIO, the name TRIO comes from those first three programs. Initially, it was those three, right? Upward Bound, Educational Talent Search, and Educational Opportunity Centers, and then Student Support Services. One of the unique things about TRIO programs is they serve students who are low income, and or students who will be the first in their immediate family to go to college. And so that's a really important thing because they are really a justice program, educational justice, but also a program that provides or programs that provide real opportunity and access by way of equity, right? So it's providing those students and their families the kind of tutoring and coaching and college visits and prep with standardized tests. And when you're in school, the kind of additional support via retention specialists and learning communities and the kind of things, and some provide some financial help as well. Um, TRIO has been around for generations, from Angela Bassett to John Quinones to Prince to Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, right? People were a part of t TRIO programs. Um, Really, really, really powerful programs. Talk a little bit, and you kind of touched on it. Can you share with us your history in TRIO as a professional and as a student and as a family, right? Because I know you have some familial TRIO history. 
Absolutely. So I started off in trio uh, when I was like in the eighth grade. My mom, uh, my younger brother went to a Head Start program. And at that Head Start program, my mom learned that she could go back to school to get her uh, GED. Um, she joined the program and she kept referring to these people, EOC, EOC. Well, the people at EOC said that I should blah, blah, blah. And from there, um, she actually managed to get her high school diploma and then went on to a two-year college. Now, while I'm off at McAllister College in St. Paul, Minnesota, I'd never really heard a TRIO program. But in um, 1996, when I graduated from McAllister College in St. Paul, Minnesota, <clears throat> my mom actually graduated from Tri-C Community College. Um, it wasn't until 2016 that I was going through some of her things and I found her certificates from the EOC program at the Murtis Taylor Community Center where my brother was going to head start. And I learned that she was actually my first experience with TRIO. Um, I often tell people that it was by mistake that I wound up uh, working for a TRIO program, but I, I think everything was ordained. I think it was just the way it was supposed to be because I've been with TRIO programs since 1999. Mm. Well, and the really interesting thing is Head Start is the little little brother, little sister to Upward Bound, right? Both right. came out of the war on poverty. Mm -hmm. um, and, civil rights the, Act, and the Civil Rights Act, right? I mean, these programs are a direct result of the work of so many social justice and civil rights icons and real life people. The legislation that was initially started by President Kennedy and then brought forward by President Johnson created Head Start and created Upward Bound in both times in 1964 is from what I from what I recall. So Ivora, talk about your professional work in TRIO. You say you started in 1999. I don't know how you started when you were 10. But, um, <laughs> tell right. me, tell me a little bit about how you started, what your work has been professionally in TRIO um, and for what programs and how what are some of those lessons and how that's helped shape you? It's interesting because usually people start off in TRIO and they get grant experience. Well, I wound up in TRIO because I had grant experience. I was working for uh, the Hamlin Midway Coalition, and there uh, we depended on private uh, donors uh, to provide funding for the after school program that we had in time. Um, and so I got my grant writing skills there. It was a, a friend of mine who also worked there. She was my supervisor, went to work for a trio program at a community college in the outskirts of St. Paul. And um, she called me one day and I had moved back to Ohio. I was settling in and everything. And she said, Evora, I have the perfect job for you. This is the perfect job. And she told me about Upper Bound. So after being in, back in Cleveland for only six months, I decided to move back to St. Paul. And that's when I started working for a TRIO program at a community college. Uh, and it was an upper bound program. The program was phenomenal. Uh, the program was 87% Hmong. That was our population. We served 120 students and 87% of our program was Hmong. Um, and so through that program, I provided services at four different high schools in St. Paul, and it was it, it was life changing for me. 
Hundred percent. Um, for everyone, I'm sure you all, if you've listened to this podcast, I would not be who I am without Frio programs. I was sadly not a participant, but I wanted to continue my work of serving the people that I was doing at nonprofits, but I had a family. And so the way to continue that ministry was my local living in Rockford, Illinois, my local community college got an upward bound grant. And for y'all who don't know, most TRIO programs, most, um, are at institutions of higher education, um, which is really cool for a first-gen and a low-income student. Um, and SSS also serves students with documented disabilities. But those students are at institutions of higher ed. And so me, as a staff person who wanted to continue the work of the people, that lowercase ministry work, I could do that with the structure the benefits, and the consistent pay of a community college. And so it was really beneficial for me. And I wouldn't, so many of us, black and brown folks, wouldn't be in higher ed if it wasn't for TRIO, because that's what brought us there. And the key for me has been, as I've continued to move through higher education, TRIO has always been that foundation, thinking if you can do it with low-income first-generation students, if you can have the kind of success we had in Upward Bound, my students, Rock Valley College Upward Bound, I'm going to tell you, I am the most proud of them um, for the kind of people they are, world changers they are. But we started programs in Ohio that weren't TRIO programs. We had those same TRIO tenants, those same TRIO values of high touch, high expectation, holistic support, ongoing support and community building. We were doing, TRIO's been doing belonging since 1964. It didn't take Terrell Strayhorn to write a book because we've been doing belonging since 64. Evora, talk about your TRIO work after your work um, in Upward Bound. Um, so after Upward Bound, I, I actually wound up leaving TRIO, and that was uh, probably one of the worst things uh, that I've ever done uh, career-wise. Um, actually, I'll, I'll take that back because it, it put me into uh, another mindset. It, it made me actually further my education just to get back with TRIO programs. I wound up um, finding out about a SSS program, a newly funded SSS program in West by God, Virginia. <laughs> of all places, I never thought in a million years I would ever wind up living in West Virginia. But I applied for the position with Student Support Services um, at a small liberal arts public college there and uh, found my way back to TRIO. So I worked with that program for seven years. And then um, in 2017, um, we received funding for another uh, Upward Bound program. Uh, so that program started at that institution. And then and now um, I'm in Virginia working for another student support services program. Uh, so I have been throughout like uh, Upper Bound and SSS. That's right. And so you've run the gamut. And one of the things that I want to really highlight is that most campuses and Upward Bound, we'll just pick on Upward Bound and Educational Talent Search, those are programs that are funded, they're grant funded by the federal government, U.S. Department of Education. Grants are written, they're five-year grant cycles. Most of those programs have higher success rates than the institutions in which they're housed. 
and they are working with low-income, first-generation, and students with disabilities. And if you are a pre-college program, Upward Bound, Upward uh, Math and Science, as well as ETS, you have to continue to track those students because your funding and performance is based on not only getting them to college, but getting them through college. Right. You even if they're not with you anymore. Right. Evora's students that are in the Upward Bound program at West Virginia in West Virginia, they may go to school in Texas at the University of Texas. Evora's continued funding is based on the performance of those students at the University of Texas and that they matriculate and graduate at student support services. It's the same thing. You not only have to have the students and support them, they need to be good standing and graduate. One of the pieces that I wanted to really talk about is that historically, as we talked about in the beginning, TRIO is one of the only places outside of cooking, cleaning, right, <laughs> cutting grass, that black and brown folks have been allowed to work in campuses. We've worked in multicultural affairs and TRIO and then in blue collar maintenance work. Um, can you talk a little bit about how race and income of the staff and students have impacted potentially the sense of belonging, especially in an SSS program and on a college campus? Because those are college students, right? Talk about the race and income, not only of our students, but historically what the TRIO staff has been. As you stated earlier, in order to qualify uh, for the, the TRIO program, there's an income element. Like you have to be uh, within 150% below poverty in order to qualify uh, for TRIO. So oftentimes, um, a lot of the students that we're working with, um, they are like the, the poorest of the poor. You know, they may have a, a parent who's working, uh, they may not. Um, oftentimes, the two actually go hand in hand. So you're working in these programs uh, and, and, and usually, uh, and in some cases, you actually qualify for the program yourself. Uh, so you may have children who actually qualify for the program because the, the pay is generally not that great. Grant-funded program, uh, there are services that you have to provide. Uh, so staff and um uh, fringe benefits, that stuff can be really expensive. Um, now, you were talking about uh, the black and brown faces on campus. Um, for me, I, I've typically worked in uh, at PWI, so predominantly white institutions, uh, where nine times out of 10, I'm, I'm one of very few uh, brown faces on campus. Um, I think one of the things that that does, um, it gives you a sense, you have to create a sense of belonging. You want a sense of belonging and you create that for your students um, because you want to empower them. And in order for you to be empowered, in order for them to be empowered, you have to create this force. And, and they feel it, you know, coming from TRIO yourself, Adam, I'm sure uh, you can relate to that and how... Uh, you probably got students just like me 20 years ago that I worked with in TRIO, and I still talk to them on a regular basis. All the time. I used to get, <laughs> we were in, you were talking about, you know, upward bound with high school students. We had three different high schools and you have all these assumptions, right? Well, because the black guy is the director, then all the students must be black. Well, no, we're in North 
Northern Illinois, we were a third Hmong Lao, right? Mm. And we were a third Latino. Mm. And we were a third Black. And then we had a, enough white students from Belvedere, Illinois as well. So it was this rainbow coalition. The one thing that we taught our students, and it was I, this was resonating with me when you were talking about creating a sense of belonging and self-authorship, self-advocacy, mm -hmm. is we treated our Upward Bound program like you were on a sports team. And so our folks had gear, right? When they got ready to graduate, we'd give them a letter jacket, right? All of these things. And so they had swag. Like our students knew, look, it ain't about if we go into colleges, which college we going to go to. And they That's would, cool. students had to make sacrifices. They had to give up at times. I mean, I, I love baseball, but they couldn't do it because they had to come to after school study plus. And we had Saturday requirements. And when TRIO says mandatory, TRIO means mandatory. It means mandatory. Right? <laughs> like, I, I love you, but if you don't show up on a Saturday, we'll find somebody else to take your spot. We got a waiting list. And so that built the self-authorship. And I still remember three different high schools, three different school districts. One of the guidance counselors at one school saying to me when I stopped up at the school, your students come in here and they tell us what they're going to do. And she was just so put back, like, how dare these students tell us we're not going to take this class or we're not going to do this. And it was all just, but, and it wasn't a negative thing. She mm -hmm. was frustrated that our students had learned to advocate for themselves. And they were basically saying, no, 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 no. I'm going to take this class, this class, this class. And then I'm going to go over to the community college and take a class. And they weren't used to. The schools weren't used to the kind of confident swag and self-authorship and leadership that we had built into our students. And it kind of reminds me of what you're talking about. It's interesting that you talk about that because um, the last institution um, that I was at, um, I, I worked very closely with the counselors and the advisors. Uh, they had a separate office for advising and they always said, I can always tell when a trio program, when a, 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 a trio participant is coming into my office because they already have their schedule. Um, they already know what classes they're taking. They already know where they're going. They already know what graduate school they've got picked out. Um, and I, I think that's a, another testament to, to uh, the trio programs and the type of work that we do. 100%. And it's, and it's oftentimes the way that we see justice happening. You're exactly right. I mean, my Upward Bound students, shout out to them again. They, every day, they're connected. Um, I'm thinking today about one of my students, Cameron Muhammad, and Cameron um, always wanted to go to Howard, always wanted to go to Howard, and it just didn't work out for undergrad. It didn't work out. She went to the University of Iowa and then finished her degree somewhere else, and she is a world changer, um, has served the community of Rockford, Illinois, has made a difference in her work at the YMCA, has an amazing son. Just last week, she let me know that she got into Howard to wow. go to graduate school for MSW. And wow. I said, sis, it isn't about when, it isn't about if, it's about when, right? Mm -hmm. I knew you were a bison. 
We knew it was going to happen. God just wasn't, it just wasn't your season for undergrad. Now you can take full advantage of saying H-U, you know, right? That kind of thing. So talk a little bit about, because you talked about that staff in TRIO Mm -hmm. are committed to that ministry, right? Because it ain't paying you nothing, right? But how often times we, and I felt this way, because of my commitment to students um, at a PWI, that if I were to leave, there wouldn't anybody be there. And so it's almost like the, the students are held hostage against you. Like if I, if I were to leave, you know, in the institution, not individuals, but mm-hmm. the institutions have historically, what it's felt like with me, and I've talked to other Black folks that have dedicated their lives to TRIO and higher ed work and other things, it almost feels like you're held captive because, well, you know what? Because none of our work is really codified. You know, it's that behind the scenes mentoring, tutoring. I'm sure right now in SSS, you have students who are participants, and then you have these other students that you're serving who, well, of course I'm going to take you, right? Of course I'm going to support you. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about how best to fight against those things in that that hostage taking and you know, to ensure that institutions build the kind of structures to support our students in addition to TRIO. Okay. Um, so, so I'm sorry, Adam, tell me the question again. Talk a little bit about how that can be a double-edged sword. Yeah, being so committed to our students that sometimes we don't do what's best for ourselves. And the institutions often use that against us. For me, it's amazing because TRIO gives me an opportunity. Like I get to see real time the impact that I'm having on my students. Um, It's not through test taking. It's not through, um, you know, these high stake tests or anything like that. But I get to see real time how these students are being impacted by my work. And I think you're absolutely right. Um, in my last position, I was there for 10 years. I did. Uh, I was able to navigate and to uh, to move up as assistant director of a program um, and to start another program when we started the Upper Bound program. Um, but I knew if, if, if I wasn't there to help my students, they weren't going to receive that same care that I was giving. I, proof was um, in the numbers. Uh, that the institution was showing before the TRIO program got there, where TRIO eligible students who are typically um, uh, black, brown, black and brown students um, were graduating at less than a third of the rate of non-TRIO eligible students. And so it's um, it does kind of hold you hostage. I mean, and it's definitely worth the life work. I mean, work that's worth doing. Um, but I'm like, you know, where would I be um, if I put the same thing into my students that I put, if I put the same thing into myself, I got students that are graduating, you know, making a hundred thousand dollars a year and I'm making $35,000 a year. It's amazing. You know, um, no, you're 100% right. And I think that's that's the piece that's so hard 
right? It's almost like, well, if you ask to be compensated, that somehow the work suffers or sometimes or somehow you're betraying the ministry and the calling. One of the things I, I know that you're aware of, but a lot of our listeners may not be, is that institutions of higher ed in about the mid 2000s. So funding comes from federal government, state government, local government, depending on the type of institution. But what happened was institutions started to be a part of what was called performance-based funding. So if an institution was not performing in retention, so that's second fall, so a student comes in as a first year, and if they're retained the next year's retention, persistence is over time, and then completion with four or six years. And so institutions who didn't perform as well as others and even more with targeted populations where they could get an additional bump in funding, they didn't receive full funding. And so what happened was institutions started building their own student success programs. They started focusing on first gen and they started focusing on students of color and even students with disabilities. And what I've seen in my, God help us now, um, 25 years in the game is TRIO is sitting right there all you have, it's 1964. All you have to do is leverage those resources. You have a TRIO program that is already on your campus at Student Support Services. Just say, okay, we're going to take some institutional funding and put it in. And if you're serving 120 students, let's serve 350 students, right? Because we can, we'll use the federal 120 and we'll use our whatever to get up to 350, right? Um, but that usually doesn't happen. It's this idea of constant duplication and replication. So talk a little bit about that. If you've seen that at your institutions where the subject matter experts as the TRIO directors, TRIO staff, TRIO alums and personnel are not the ones that are leaned on in times of we want to serve these students broader where you could maybe use some help and support and be an expert to your community. Um, I've gotten to see it both ways, Adam. Um, I've got, you know, colleagues who work on um, HBCU campuses. Um, and for me, um, I've always been a pioneer, um, always on a PWI. And um, um, I, I understand what you're saying, like, uh, um, about the duplication of, of services and how that sometimes turns into it's almost like a competition where you're you're fighting to serve the same populations um at a on a hbc campus hbcu campus i have a friend and her her work was actually recognized she's like now the vice president of of student something something on campus uh and she still runs the trio programs but what the what the college does is they actually they give her uh, funding to supplement and she gets to serve, uh, you know, other populations of students uh, still uh, working for TRIO. But part of her salary is paid through the institution. Um, I think. That when institutions do that and they show that type of support, um, what they're actually saying is. We see, we see you. We see the value in the services that that you're providing. Um, we see that you're saving our institution um, tons of money. Um, think about it. If you have, um, if you have, if you're serving uh, a group of students, and each one of those students is bringing in five thousand uh, dollars a semester, 
you got 40 students. That's that's like uh, almost $800,000 uh, just from that the, that little pool of students. Imagine if you if you if you put more into it, more monies into it, um, and you're able to affect a larger population. It's it's just it's very uh, it's, it, sometimes it can be disheartening, um, especially when there's duplication on campuses. Uh, and I think uh, a, a lot of duplication happens because of the lack of knowledge about TRIO programs and what we do, what we're funded to do, uh, what our regulations say that we can do, um, um, and the environment that we're creating on the can on on the college campus. And that's that's a really interesting point you bring up. So do you do you think part of that misunderstanding about what we do and who we do it with um, comes from a place of, and not an HBCU, but in particular at a PWI, historically the people who work and lead these programs, you know, is there a misunderstanding because it is a justice program often led, and to, let's just be honest, by Black women? Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, is is that part of where that un misunderstanding lives? You know, I would really hope not, um, you know, but, you know, when things equal out, you know, two plus two is four. Right. Um, you, you 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 have to you have to question uh, like where this is coming from. Um, and, and you're right now. I, I would say that trio is way more diverse in its leadership now than That's it has exactly been right. previously. I can go to a conference, our national conference, and it used to be nothing but black and brown faces at those yep. conferences. You yep. know, the the Latinos, the, um, um, you know, black women, we were there. We were on the foregrounds with these students. Now, um, I think because people are understanding the power of TRIO, more people want to get get involved. They want to they 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 in the ministry. They want they want to be a part of that ministry, and um, um, so it is changing. And I'm hoping with that change uh, will come change from the institution from the in institutional perspective. Give a shout out to the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul. I think what people nationally and worldwide had never seen before and the wake of George Floyd's murder and the uprisings that happened afterwards is they had they hadn't seen uh <laughs> they hadn't seen Fred Hampton's Rainbow Coalition come together and yell Black Lives Matter but in the Twin Cities that's what they saw they saw Hmong folks and indigenous folks and white folks and black folks and Asians. And I mean, you know, and blackness in the Twin Cities is completely different because you have Somalis and Liberians and all of these different folks and black Americans and Afro-Latinos and all of these layers. And people are like, well, wait a minute. I thought this was just we were used to black people yelling this. But when you have a white woman who's half German and half Czechoslovakian, like my mother, in her walker with purple tennis balls on the front yelling Black Lives Matter, um, that blew people's minds, right? Absolutely. And so I think exactly what you're saying, this image that folks have at our institutions of who, not only who TRIO staff look like, but who TRIO participants look like. Some of my greatest TRIO giants are my white students. I'm going to tell you what, they do, I'm going to tell you, 
Ooh. And that's what flipped people out. Like, oh, these white students are acting like they got swag too. And they're coming in and telling us where they're going to do this. And they have all these things written down and they are advocating for their own needs, right? And when you do that with students from Appalachia and students from rural North Dakota and students from, you know, that is a really powerful social change agent. And then the other part of that is... um the thing that I like about, that I love, absolutely love about TRIO is, you know, not only are we giving students a vision for their lives right now, but what is going to be uh, 10, 20 years down the road. So whereas there was no representation before, uh, the one thing that we are definitely finding is that now there's tons of representation. Uh, representation um, in the House and in the Senate of people who were former TRIO students. So the work that we're doing now is actually impacting our future uh, because these people are, they, they're making legislation. That's why TRIO programs out of all socially funded programs are over the uh, billion dollar mark now uh, with funding. No, that's a, that's a great point. Can y'all believe that there is something that the federal government has funded since 1964 consistently? It survived inflation. It survived lines to get gas. It survived economic downfalls. It survived, you know, 45. God help us with 45, right? It survived. It doesn't matter. Republican, damn, all the things. The power of TRIO is the impact, not only of, of the Council for Opportunity of Education, shout out to COE and their great work advocating and training for TRIO, but the TRIO community, the staff, but even more the alumni base. Because the alumni base are the ones that are running companies now. And they're sitting in Washington. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You are giving. And the beauty of TRIO programs, whether they are in Samoa or they are in Compton or they are in Des Moines, Iowa, right, is that TRIO staff teach their students that they are in TRIO. And that means a commitment to something bigger than yourself. And you, my students know, you sure as heck ain't going to go out here acting no fool and not giving back. I don't care what you do with your life as far as college, this, that, and the other. I hope you are successful. But success to a TRIO director and to TRIO personnel is how you serve others. Because they, we were the models of that. And if, you, if we didn't teach you that, then we might as well forget about everything that we done, we've done. Vora, how to you, um, we talked a little bit about TRIO being justice work. To you, right? How is TRIO, when, when I say TRIO is justice work, how is it justice work to you in your mind? Well, for me, um, I feel like uh, I feel like we're we're leveling the playing fields in so many ways. Um, you know, take a look at Upper Bound, for example. I, I think Upper Bound is a great example. Um, the students that participate in Upper Bound programs are getting the services that you talked about, the uh, college entrance exam preparation. Uh, they're getting uh, uh, tutoring services to help improve their grades. Um, um, they're getting to explore and uh, take trips to different college campuses, things that they would... Do you, when I was growing up, in order for me to even uh, go to a college campus, uh, my former basketball coach had to take me 
uh, to those rides, you know, uh, to those campuses. And now uh, with the TRIO programs, those students are afforded those opportunities because of the staff that are working on their behalf. Um, they would not, in, 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 in other uh, situations, they would not be able to afford to uh, participate in those types of events or to have that extra help. And so when you think about equity and you think about leveling the playing fields, that's exactly what, what TRIO programs are doing uh, at the college level. Um, students who so something as simple as providing food for their family. Trio programs are uh, creating, uh, have been creating uh, pantries uh, on campus. Uh, my very first year uh, in my last Trio program, uh, we had a student that was homeless and everybody, every student uh, in that program came together. They bought food, they brought clothes, they bought blankets. Um, they made sure that, that student had a place to stay and that student is thriving right now. Well, and before it was in vogue, you know, campuses, when I first started in higher ed, uh, Vora, you'll, you'll know this, people used to always say, don't hire folks with human services or social work backgrounds. We're not, and they used to always tell me, Adam, we're not a social service agency. We're an educational institution. Now, every school in every, every institution that I know has more access to healthcare, clinical care, food pantries, mental health care, right? all of the things, violence intervention, right? Then the communities that the institutions are in. Our students have better access, right? But it's all because TRIO was doing it first, right? TRIO was providing pantry services and mental health services and, and behavioral health services and all of those things for students well, well, well before. And some people ask, well, why does tanking trips matter? Imagine being an airline pilot and being on a runway where there are no lights. And so on that runway, you don't see the lamps. And so what happens if you're the pilot is you just, you just ride. And then at some point, the lights turn on as you are going. And the that's what being first generation is like. You don't know if the runway is going to end. You don't know if you're going to pull up too soon, if you're going to pull up too late and you're going to fall off a cliff. And so TRIO lights those runway lamps in advance for students and the kinds of programs that Evora is talking about, whether it's in college or it's pre-college, because TRIO has all of this legacy via alumni and upperclassmen, they can see others because the reality is if you can't see it, you can't be it, right? And when we, when my Upward Bound program we stayed in a hotel one time as the director. Every other time, we stayed in residence halls. And so imagine taking some first-generation, low-income students, and we're at the University of Florida, and they're in the residence halls, eating in the dining facilities, using the classrooms, moving around the campus, right? And these are students who have never left Illinois in their life. Maybe they can get to Chicago. Outside of that, they have been on the campus of Florida State and Miami and Columbia, New York, and the University of Minnesota and the University of South Dakota, and they have been in those places so that when the time comes to go to college, like we would say, we've pushed the balloon bigger so that more stuff can fit inside. 
Tria, uh, Evora, talk a little bit about um, some stories, right? Some student stories that you're the most proud, that you feel like your work in TRIO has been impactful. Talk a little bit about, tell us one or two stories of students that you're like, wow, well done, my good and faithful servant. Okay, so much like yourself, Adam, though I was uh, eligible for a TRIO program, I didn't have the knowledge. I didn't know that there were TRIO programs um, um, in my area. I wasn't able to take advantage of those programs. So um, one of the students that I, I wound up serving uh, would come into our TRIO lab and he would study with some of the other students, um, And but he he didn't know that he was trio eligible. He didn't really understand the program, but I would see him sometimes. I, they'd just be studying. And so he actually applied. He did all of his prereqs and applied for the nursing program at the school where I was at. Well, he didn't get in. Now, there are a number of reasons why he had great grades. Um, he, For some reason, he was not what that program was looking for. And so one of the one of his friends brought him to my office and he's like, you need to talk to Ms. Baker, blah, blah, blah. So he comes in and I'm talking to him and he's in tears. And I said, I told him, I said, point blank period. If do not let this be your determinant factor. This is not your determinant factor. I told him another route. So I told him, I said, just do a general degree. You're almost, you have all the credits, do a general degree and then come back and do the master's program. So he did an MBA in health, uh, health administration. Within two years, that young man was running, um, was running, uh, a, a, he was the director of a health organization. It was like an urgent care facility and hiring all of the nurses in six different states. That's one of the stories. Another story, um, I had a student who was a TRIO student. Um, initially, he was not. He actually failed his first year and... Um, Somebody told him, you need to go see Trio. You need to go see Trio. Uh, he came into the office. He 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 was a football player, so he was ineligible for his first year and uh, had gotten in a little trouble. So that's where uh, we came in. Uh, we went and we, we helped him advocate for himself on campus. He was able to stay. I told him, give me your work. If you work with me, if you come in here, you get your work done, I promise you, you're going to be in a different position. Just give me a semester. He came in every single day. He worked. He got assistance with his uh, English papers. Um, and when I tell you this kid had like a 0.5 GPA, he actually got back in good academic standing uh, by the end of the year. He transferred to a different school. Do you know he played, plays for the NFL right now? Oh. So, I mean, I've helped architects. I've got students that are doctors. They're lawyers. Um, I, I don't know any other job that I could do where I could see uh, these types of results. Well, and first off, let me just say, as they say on, on behalf of a grateful nation, Evora Baker, thank you. It isn't just the students because you're changing, you know, Janae, Adams was on our last podcast episode talking about the impact of things. You are changing the nation 
it isn't just the lives of those students because it's ripple effects, right? You have somebody who is destined to live in poverty because they're low-income first generation, and they become a teacher or a lawyer or a doctor. Evora, tell us what, when people ask you, what can I do to help TRIO programs? Um, when people ask you that question, what's your answer? What can people do to help support TRIO in their communities? Um, I think one of the first things that people can do uh, is first become educated about TRIO programs. Find out what programs are in, in your area. And if you're in a position, uh, I think even if I wasn't with uh, TRIO programs right now, I would still be looking for trio programs in my neighborhood where I can go back. I can mentor. Um, I can uh, offer the services that I have. You know, all this knowledge that I've gained through trio about scholarships, about uh, the college going process. And I would I would I would give back. So if, if people could, could give um, uh, their 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 time and their talents, that would be really helpful. Um, if. Um, People educated themselves and they were also willing to write their representatives to tell them about the TRIO programs to, uh, to support us. Uh, you know, this doesn't only have to come from TRIO professionals and the students that we serve, but it should be coming from our communities because these, these programs are needed. Um, and those are just a couple of the ways that I can think of right off the bat uh, how people can support TRIO programs. No, those are really good. I I always say with your time, some people have time. Um, a lot of people have talent. What talent can you give? Can you tutor? Can you teach a course? Can you provide access via a internship, paid or experience for a student to have access to a job experience? So your time, your talent, your treasure, Trio programs are on college campuses that all have foundations. So time, talent, treasure. And then we need to hold our elected officials to task, right? Um, that's a pastoral degree. So time, talent, treasure, treasure, and then holding our elected officials to task and ensuring that people that that they understand that the community where these students and these programs reside need those programs because they are having a profound effect, not just the lives on those students, but the housing market and the tax levies and all of the things that TRIO is there to do. Dr. Evora Baker, thank you for your time again on behalf of not just your students, but all of us. Thank you for all you do to serve our country, to serve the lives of those students. You are making a huge impact, and for that, we are eternally grateful. You have no idea how this program has changed my life. Um, and so in, in the work that I do, uh, I often tell my students, you, you, you may get something from me, but you have no idea uh, what I'm getting from you in return. And so I, I love the reciprocity that I experience when, when I'm working um, as a trio professional. Thank you. Thank you, Laura. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to this episode of Get Uncomfortable. Get Uncomfortable is produced in partnership between me, Rachel Hansen, and Adam Smith. If you want to hear more from Adam, 
visit his website, hearadamspeak.com, where you can book him to speak at your organization and hear more about what he has to say about what we talk about here on the show. Now, if you want to support the show itself, there are a variety of ways that you can do that. You can leave us a review anywhere you listen to podcasts, send us an email, or share an episode with a friend. Until next time, stay uncomfortable.